guys. Welcome back to Beyond the Barbell, brought to you by Reebok, official sponsor of the CrossFit and the CrossFit Games. What you heard right there is the voice of our guest, the champion of a lot of things. <laughs> I'll uh, take that. Everything goes OCR. Hunter, thanks a lot for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Um, so, we're here at the CrossFit Games in 2017 in Madison. You are here. We met you up at the Fid A booth, which yeah. is rising high above the festivities. It's an honor to be there, man, dude. Fid is the best, best drink in the best, dude. There. Shimmering, shimmering. To my left, I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Alderman. He's been replaced officially, ben I think, now. Replaced. I think he's gone. Yeah, this is much better. Ben uh, who? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Hunter. So I want to get right into it, man. M- many of our listeners have done Spartan races or Tough Mudder races or some sort of OCR event. Yeah. But many of them haven't. Give them, give those people that have not uh, an idea of the difference between a CrossFit competition and an obstacle course race. Yeah, well, obstacle racing is kind of a broad term. You can imagine things like American Ninja Warrior. There's things like Tough Mudder Spartan races, which are a little bit longer, and you can expect to be going through the woods and doing some crazy stuff in the water, going over big walls. And there's even championships that are just so wild and crazy. They're 24 hours long, and they're like called World Toughest Mudder. It's a big championship we have every year. That's where you're going around the course as many times as, as you many can, times right? as possible. Now, obstacle course racing kind of was birthed from the idea of military-style training. We saw that here at the CrossFit Games this year. It's very exciting to watch people kind of just tackle anything that's in front of them. May the best man or woman stand at the end of the day. And uh, they've taken it to ultimate lengths of whatever it might be, a championship that's one mile or championships that are 24 hours. Uh, It's extreme, man. It's anything you could ever imagine, but uh, there's a lot of running to get you there. So have you done that actual race, or what's... Yeah, uh, the 24-hour one? Yeah, tell us uh, we about were, that. Uh, my first year ever there, uh, we were the Team World Champions. We we raced 26 hours straight. I had, like, second-degree sunburns on my face by the end of it. Uh, my buddy had had to poop his wetsuit for us to win by only a five-minute margin. Um, it was one of the most brutal things I've ever gone through in the sense that once I was done, I couldn't wear anything but flip-flops and Tevas for six weeks. And... Uh, I'm not trying to scare anybody off. I'm telling you to right now, it is the greatest athletic feat that I've ever accomplished. And it's something that, to me, uh, it is such a community base. It's like, imagine all of your favorite competitors you see here, but you get to spend 24 hours with them constantly. And you get to watch them rise and fall over some of the most challenging things you could ever imagine. And uh, the way that you connect with the community as well is something that you can't build any find anywhere else. So I'm not super familiar with this. What's a team base look like? Is it so many girls, so many guys? It is. You can have a woman on your team. I actually went up against a team. The second place team had one woman in it, and she was a beast. But it's four people on your team. You have to stay within shoulders distance of each other the whole time. If you guys, if you go over timing that, and I'm 60 seconds behind you or more, we get DQ'd. So you have to stay very, very close. Gotcha. Okay. And some obstacles are so big, as you imagine this truss right here, we'd have to help each other get to the top in some shape or form. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it's very much you're relying on other people. So if you race as an individual, you'd still have to get boosted up by somebody else you might you be competing against. You literally couldn't do it alone. It'd be very, very hard. Okay. Yeah. And you said you were five minutes span from the team 
team behind you. What it, does that look like? Are you guys side by side for 28 hours or? No, because this is the crazy thing. It's pitch black and all you can see is headlamps. So and everybody's wearing wetsuits, so you don't know. If I put you in a wetsuit, I'd have no clue who you right. two were in the middle of the night, especially. So we were passing each other back and forth, and we didn't know who it was. So there's this like sheer panic. And as the sun rose the next day, we saw their team maybe like a couple hundred yards ahead of us limping. One of their teammates had gotten like pretty badly injured. He broke a rib and was still racing. There's a 38 high foot cliff that you have to jump off every lap to get to the next section. <laughs> Brutal. In the beginning, it's super fun. You're like, spring break. Yeah. And then at the end, you're like, help, please. No more. Just rolling yeah. down the so hill. So it's just, you know, slap. And we, we passed them with that last five minutes. And uh, it was honestly the most incredible feeling. So you were behind. And we were behind. Forward. We were behind. Wow. Yeah. To the point where I said I had I made my friend go to the bathroom in his, uh, his wetsuit because I was yes. like, dude, the amount of time it's going to take to get that wetsuit off, get you to a bathroom, and clean you up. It's not time that I'm going to give you. And we, we, we charge. Do you want it or not? It, That's and we want. Thing. I mean, it's yeah. something we, we live with, the smiles every day because of it. So how many years have you been doing this? Uh, I started racing. I did my first race in 2011. I started racing competitively in 2012, and I had a contract with Reebok by 2013. So so just a good time, 2011, you're like, I'm going to go try this out yeah. and see what it's like. And what was that race? You know, honestly, we were we were all hanging out, a bunch of bros at our Malibu house, and we're on Active.com, and we're looking at stuff, and somebody like finds a Spartan race, and everyone starts cheering like Spartan, and they're like, "Dude, you won't do this!" And I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'll do that!" And you know, you're just a classic gym guy with the guns and whatever, and you know, you're like, "I'll crush it, no big deal." And I went out there, and all my friends, we all show up at the starting line. I was the only person to actually start. Everybody else just drank beer and was like, "You go, the, you go, bro, you go." Yeah, so I went solo, and uh, I think there was over there was over ten thousand people there, and I finished sixth place. And I had no clue. I was in my underwear. I was in a pair of tidy whities I had, I had some beer in the system, and I I was just I was a fit kid, but I had no clue what this was going to end up looking like. And it was like almost this perfect cocktail that it was mixed just for me. Wow. And uh, it, it born to do it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget, when I when I left that race, I didn't think much about it. I was like, wow, that was really crazy. Like, that was something I should look back at. But I, I went back to New York City and hung out with my brother for a while on his couch. And uh, then one day I told my mom, I was like, mom, I'm going to become the best mud runner in the world. And she was really upset with me. She's like, no, you're not. You're going back to college. And I left on a flight from New York City to California to take the big stand. And within six months, I, I had a contract to race professionally. So... Uh, changed my life. What does it look like to race professionally in a sport like this? Uh, so there are tiers. You know, you can sign up for different waves, but once you're at a certain tier, you are going to get invited to races. You're going to have preferential placement in races. Uh, so, like, you know, elite wave at Spartan Race is only filled up by 300 men. And men or women, you know, they have different ways for each, you know, each sex group. You have but earned that spot. Yeah, you have to spot. earn that spot. You have to also earn a coin by getting a top five placement to get to the world championship elite wave. So you have to get top five in any race all over the world that's a Spartan race. For tough mutters such as the TMX thing, you have to fill out applications. You have to give them your accolades. You tell them what you've done. And they'll, they'll, they had like 1,500 people sign up. They brought it down to 40 men and 40 women. 
So it, de- it just depends. It's just like, you know, there's a selection process to get to the games. There's just somewhat of a selection process to every event that we do. Which you went through. What's that? CrossFit Games. No, process. no, I went through the open process. That's the first stage. That's right. And I kicked some serious ass for those first two workouts. You watch out. But you give me a... Yeah. You put a snatch... The obstacle showed up, and I'm telling you. Yeah. He's coming. If, uh, if you put a snatch bar in my way, though, it's basically, you know, like a match to gasoline. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So I'll work on it someday. All right. So we... Uh... So the develop you were saying earlier off off uh, off air how the development of OCR as a sport is kind of follows this following a similar pattern to what CrossFit had right yeah Cross, first CrossFit Games was in 2007 first uh, OCR races were coming in 2011 yeah right um, and so you said that where CrossFit was in 2012 that's kind of about where we're all right now. now you guys are on NBC ESPN a lot of major network coverage yeah um, you have professional athletes who are getting paid to do this exclusively uh, but there's still there's still room to grow right for sure man I mean we just we just got signed on by CBS like you know I think we're 12 episodes per year with them this last year so that's like a huge jump up and every single every year we're growing in a different way you know there's a couple shows that are coming on there's newer competitions that are coming on and the level of professionalism with drug testing and things like that are developing now we're in the process of trying to get some format into the Olympics like we have a an option to get into the 2020 as like a, a tester really? event okay. yeah so there's a lot of momentum but it's so spread out amongst different companies whereas CrossFit is such a developed name and then there's like the F45 competitions, and then there's the Granite Games. Like those are small chips. CrossFit was just one big thing that climbed up tall. Whereas we have a bunch of different companies that are slowly developing, so it's harder for us to kind of get that that that's momentum. Ones that I know, I know Tough Mudder and I know Spartan. Those seem to be the the major players, right? Yes. Uh, there are more than that. There are. There's companies. You know, there's smaller ones. There's Warrior Dash. There's Toughest in the UK. You know, there used to be a company called Battle Frog. Uh, I remember that one. Battle Frog, and it's amazing. Like, it's the biggest participant sport in the world, but in like no time. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember like Tough Mudder specifically was the fastest growing company in the world. Yeah, at one point. Yeah, it was like. Is it Eric Botsford that's with Tough Mudder? Right, Eric Botsford. He's a friend of ours. He was from Sacramento, and now he's one of their um, microphone guys at the beginning of the show. Okay, cool. Jim, when he. Oh no, you're talking about E Rock. E Rock, yeah. I love E Rock. So E Rock was the guy who developed TMX. You guys have to get involved in the next one. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Okay. Yeah, he was the guy who was kind of the mastermind behind that. I've been seeing him for years. Uh, no, years now, but now we're starting to really become friends because we see each other so often. But that guy's a superstar. Right. <laughs> he travels like he's on like 20 flights a month, and he'll get off a flight from New York City to Hawaii and then power clean 385 or something. Like, oh, yeah. freak. I'm like, he was yeah. from Sacramento. Yeah. Right in our neighborhood. He's a good dude. Yeah. Good dude. Very good dude. Um, all right, so the, the sport is growing. Um, do you see some sort of a coalition ultimately happening to kind of like. Uh, bring together these different fragmented companies. Like you said, CrossFit, it is it is so uh, centralized. Yeah. CrossFit headquarters is very centralized. They have the games. They have the selection process together. It is the pinnacle event of functional fitness every year. For sure. Uh, but it's because it's all contained, and they can direct all their money and energy towards one thing. So do you see that, something happening like that in OCR? Well, we had an independent company called OCR World Championships come in a couple years ago, and basically unite the smaller companies. I mean, there's probably 50 to 100 of them. 
to create a selection process. If you compete at one of these, then you get to earn Qualified, a spot. Yeah. yeah. So companies like that coming together and asking the smaller companies to get together and also make people have like obstacles that are all the same height, same distance, everything like that. So that we have a, yeah, standardizing. That right there is the big leap forward. It is tough because Tough Mudder and Spartan Race, being such huge companies, they have egos. They're like, well, we don't like to do it that way. We like our walls to be seven feet tall. You like them to be eight. We think seven's the way to go. And that right there is kind of like a, pardon my French, but like a dick measuring contest, I think. So I, I hope that it's going to change. But as of right now, I think we have such good momentum, and I'm, I'm positive that it's, it's going to work out all right. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of mixed martial arts. Yeah. Right? So you had all these different fighting um, entities. entities, right? And then UFC came in and kind of established itself as the dominant force. Yeah. And um, Just because, more and more standardized all the time. Yeah. Right now, Reebok's involved. In right, exactly. It, it makes it mainstream. And like right now, I think what obstacle course racing has uh, in spades is accessibility. Yeah. Right? Not everybody gets to come to the CrossFit Games. Everybody gets to go and do the Open. That's online at their gym, and CrossFit keeps it inclusive that way. But like you said, the first race you went to in 2011, there was 10,000 people signed up. Amazing, right? So, what they have a great, what they've done a great job of doing in that sport is take this passion for running, which has been there for a hundred years or or more. Like, yeah. Right? Everybody loves to run. It's like a bedrock, you know, component of fitness. But also the playfulness of yeah. just being able to go through obstacles, exactly. have you a good time, it. challenge yourself. Yeah, right. He improved it. And it's, it seems somewhat primal. It's like everybody can understand, like, why this is enjoyable to do. But I will admit that's a two-sided coin. It brings a lot of attention, but it also brings a lot of negative attention because so many people think it's somewhat of a joke. They're like, well, my buddy and I did that drunk. True. Uh, okay, my cousin, my cousin... You know, her and her friends did that for a bachelor or in party. Tidy yeah. whities Yeah, yeah, in my tidy oh, whities okay. <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was a joke at first. So it yeah. is tough. Like, you know, I always see, for me, the level of professionalism that's going on in our sport, or if we've made it or not, my test is if I sit down on an airplane and I'm sitting next to somebody and they're like, what do you do for work? And I was like, well, I, I, I race obstacle course races professionally. Have you heard, ever heard of Spartan Race or Tough Mudder? If they know what I'm talking about, that's one point. Two, if they know about, they've seen it on television, that's two points. And three, if they've, you know, if they actually understand and heard it being a professional sport, that's three points. That's all the box checked. I barely get, I'm lucky if I get two. I'm lucky if I get one. It's funny because I think all of us can attest to that moment when your parents are like, when are you guys going to get real jobs? Yeah. When are you going to be, you know... I literally remember my husband asking his family, hey, like, get behind us, I want to do this. And they're like, hmm, you went to college and you need a real job. Like, nope. And now it's like, oh, you have a real job. And you sit down next to people and they've heard of your businesses. They've heard of what you're doing. they heard of your background. And it's awesome. Yeah. You're supporting your family and... It's obvious that it's working. Hey, I can beat all my brothers up. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's what yeah. it's all about. No, my, my family is very widespread in the way that my oldest brother's a lawyer, the next one's a neurologist, the next one's a hedge fund manager, and then there's me. 
So it took a long time for me to match these guys to be able to sit at the table and have something to talk about. But now, uh, luckily, just playing it's, outside. It, so, yeah. yeah. Well, they were laughing at me for a while, but now I've made it up enough where it's it's a point where That's everybody fantastic. respects it. All right. So that that leads me perfectly into my next question, which is, you got some serious pedigree in your family. Yeah. Like professions that are going to last a lifetime. Chances are you're not going to be a top-level obstacle course racer into your 50s, For right? sure. I mean, at least not, not to the level that you are now. It's just an athlete's curse, right? You rise fast and you fall at the end of your physical I dominance. think about it all the time. It's so, the worst. What, I mean, in CrossFit, we, we've seen athletes parlay this into owning gyms. Um, podcasts. Running podcasts. Uh, you know, Selling creating, chalk. Creating products, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we try to use the market that CrossFit has created for us and basically still do what we love on a different things. way. What does that look like in the OCR world? Has anybody done that yet? Uh, well, I've invested in a gym. Uh, people are starting to make their own products. We have a podcast. We sell training guides, things like that. So I've done the smaller um the kind of smaller movements going forward to basically make sure that I have financial security. Um, Plus, you got a brother that manages a hedge fund, so yeah. like, just well, give him your money, yeah. right? The thing is, what I tell people, uh, you know, I try not to announce it too much, but I play dumb. I play dumb, but then I basically, what I do is I converse with my parents and my brothers all the time and find out what's going on trending in the markets. My dad's a financial economic writer, so I find out everything, and what I'll do is I slowly invest or look for things to get involved in, but you know, honestly, my goal right now in life is to keep my head in this. And uh, I'm trying not to look too far forward in the future because as soon as you start doing that, every single time you take a little bit of weight off of this and put it towards something else, the emphasis and the like, you know, the intensity, it loses its weight, and that's when you start losing races. So for me, I'm a professional athlete when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed. And uh, there is no future other than the next race. And uh, honestly, if you're at the top level of game, that's all you can focus on. That's awesome. Yeah. What? What? Um. What was your sport or your back background athleticism? Where? Where did this all come from? Uh, my professional sport when I was in high school was drinking. Uh, oh, to okay. the point where I got in a lot of trouble. But I was a wrestler and a runner, and. I was the kind of person who had talent. I always got that backhanded award at the end of the season, most potential, right. which basically means like, hey, you're really talented, but you're a jackass, so take this and think about it when you get Clean home. It up, guy. Yeah. So for me, I, I never really saw sports as something that I cared too much about until one day when I turned 19, it just I, I was wrestling against somebody, and I just a light bulb went off in my head and said, it's time to go. But uh, honestly, I don't know. I I just had a fire in my belly one day and it just kind of switched over. Uh, there's a lot of athleticism in our family, though, so it kind of just developed that way. Are most of the people that you're competing against on the top level have, have like, cross-country backgrounds? Yeah, yeah. So the number one guy in the world, the, guy, the only person who's beat me this season, Hobie Call, you know, is a 216 marathoner multiple time. Uh, you, know, you know, we got national champions. We got people who are Olympic trials athletes. We, got, we had Olympic medalists. We, you know, it's just a freak show of athletes in the running regard. And once that that dream kind of fizzles out you have to pick something that's a little bit uh different kind of level of competition and a lot of these guys love the idea of just getting away from only running and having right. a new aspect to kind of focus on and who wouldn't 
It's amazing. It's amazing. So, for me, I, I could never imagine being that person, like, running 140 miles a week, and that's all you did from the age of 10 years old until you're 30 years old. So, a lot of these guys are leaving that, taking a couple-year break, and then they find our sport, and they, they just have that fire in their belly again, and it's it's incredible the level of competition it brings. I hope it's okay to ask this, but I'm curious. At the level your sport's at now, how many guys can make a legitimate living being professional obstacle course racers? Like, and if you wouldn't mind, like... No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll put it to you this way. I would imagine... I would imagine that there's probably about four to six guys who make over 50,000. I, I imagine there's probably about three guys who make over 100,000. And if you're lucky, you'll break that 200K mark. So as I said, kind of like race winnings and sponsorships. Yep, race winnings, sponsorships. You can imagine what, what do you, I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their head thinking, what was Rich Froning making around 2012, 2013 when he was starting to like, when CrossFit was starting to get really cool. Right. And you can only imagine. So I'm not, this isn't meant to be a bragging right telling people how much I make, but I do that math in my head all the time because it's interesting because that also reflects how well our sport's doing as a whole. Right, as exactly. what, what one person can make, what means the rest of the business can make. So, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to have sponsors like FitAid to be able to support me. They brought me here. I've been working with them for a couple years. Um, more so than the money you make with them, it's also exciting to work with a company where uh, these people are becoming sources of direction for the next generation of athletes. Remember when Gatorade used to be the thing and you look at those athletes, you're like, oh, Oh, man, and now FitAid's taking that, and like you know, it's a little bit surreal. It's amazing. And you kind of have to sometimes you step back, and then you you're like, oh, all this hustle, I didn't really realize that I that I'm here or yeah. what you're doing, or even you asking the question about our podcast being out here, and we're like, uh, I yeah. don't know, it just kind of happened. You just See? kept on hustling, kept on working on the things that you love to do. My mom's very good to me in that regard, where she she'll stop me and she'll be like, Hunter, like you recognize what you got going on right now? Like, calm down for a bit and just like sit down and pay attention to what you have going on and appreciate it. Are you a mama's boy? No. I'm a daddy's boy or whatever the hell that's <laughs> supposed to mean. My, honestly, my mom and I have an amazing relationship, but okay. uh, I would say like my dad is somebody I really, really look up to and he's kind of the, per- the go-to. Yeah. And I don't know why it ended up building that way. My mom is always the kindest person you could ever imagine, but um, I just think some people connect with like, you know their father in a way. And my dad has been a big inspiration for me in this. So where'd you grow up? Born in New York City, raised mostly in Connecticut and New York. And now where do you live? Malibu, California. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, Malibu's not bad. It's not bad. Sometimes I get sand in my shoes. It's a struggle there. but And I get sunburned. <laughs> Those are the two biggest complaints. What is well, the, I would uh, like to know if you brought sunscreen here yeah, today I need some sunscreen. you really need yeah. some sunscreen. Um, what does what the, the training volume look like for you? Like, if you live in Malibu, do you get a chance to just go out and, like, surf and hang out? Or are you, like, really putting in hours and hours every Hours day? and hours. Okay. All right, so this is going to be a big insult to CrossFitters. But I think CrossFitters, when you hear that they train four to six hours a day, I think that's bullshit. Sorry to swear. I, I have foul mouth. You mean because they warm up for so long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I train with some high-level CrossFitters, and they'll get into the gym at 8 o'clock, and they'll leave at 
12, and they'll do maybe like two kind of Metcon, like, or like strength structural you know, things. Like I trained for six hours. Yeah, I was today. in there for six hours, and I was like, dude, you touched like a crossover symmetry for 10 minutes, and then you sat on the rower on, on the assault bike on your cell phone for like 45 minutes, and then, then you did like a like a three by three push jerk workout, and you thought, <laughs> like, what in the world is that? So for me, like, my highest levels will be about 26 hours of volume, and that will look about in a week. Yeah, and that will be about 10 hours on the bike, 10 hours to 12 hours of running, and probably around four hours of strength training. Now, that was last year. Um, this year, I've dumped the volume a lot because of the intensity, and I've been doing a lot more short course stuff. And uh, so that will be like kind of like 14 to 18 hours. And uh, sadly enough, I, I hired Charles Poliquin as a strength coach. No One-hour consultation for $1,000, and he broke my heart within the first 15 minutes. Oh. The man told me I could only strength train once a week for 45 minutes. That's it. Wow. Yep. He's got a unique perspective on this. You know, honestly, I, I spent $1,000 because I respect anybody who could do as much as he has. And the great thing about a genius is if, you, if you're if you smart and you know something very, very well, you should be able to explain it simply. I think, uh, you know, Einstein said something along those lines, and he is very good at that. And right. uh, so for me, I'll give you a split. Mondays are one day, of, like, uh, I have a 45 minutes of barbell time in the afternoon. It's a run and a swim. Tuesdays is speed work where I'm doing either hills, track work, or I get somebody on a bicycle to ride alongside of me, have, like, a watch and make sure that I'm hitting splits. Yeah. Yep. Um, Wednesdays, more running and biking. Thursdays, running and biking. Fridays, strongman days. My favorite day of the week. Favorite day. That's huge, fun. Huge sandbags, huge sleds, uh, big rope workouts, anything that's really ugly to pick up, and Saturdays are long runs. All right, I'm curious. Why so much biking? Because, um... Is it just better for your joints, I, or...? Honestly, yeah, it's... I'm a, I weigh 195 pounds. Most of the guys I compete against are 145 to 155, and it's just too much. It's too much. Uh, I'm kind of injury-prone in that way. I always get bad knees. Never, like, a surgery, but it just gets sore. And the bike, you know... I just think people don't understand the power of just like a really, really awesome conditioning workout on the bike. That's why you see so many top-level crossfitters. You're a on spin bikes. instructor, you said. That's right. Okay, Dude, so I you have that history. That 21 classes a week was my highest volume, and those are 45-minute classes where you're screaming at a room full of people. So yeah, are I also have love for it. What's that? Are you a good squatter? No, really? I don't. I almost never squat. I feel like spin instructors are always good squatters. Yeah, yeah. I've got very curvaceous buns, if that's what you're asking. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, so um, you train a lot, but most of it is building your engine and your aerobic capacity. Yes. That's the majority of it. You get a barbell day and you get a strongman day. Yep. But most of the time is built around speed intervals. Um, which is a little bit anaerobic, and then the rest of it's aerobic training. So that makes sense because yeah. the majority of the race is in that aerobic capacity arena, yeah. right? You got to be able to move. I really, I would love to just like sit down and work with CrossFitters and just teach them about what it's like to condition. Because I think everybody who's out there deserves to be out there, but they also deserve to do better than they are. Because I think that conditioning element still hasn't really set in with them. It's very easy to fall in love with a barbell and Metcons and stuff. There's nothing romantic about long runs and these like sucky like zone two cardio workouts. But 
that is the difference what you're going to see. That's why I think Matt Frazier, if you've noticed over the past two years, the guy just seems to stay so consistent and took his weaknesses and made them at least moderately strong, and now he's walking away with it. Yeah. 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 I agree, man. And then a lot of people have pointed to that, that he just did a ton of running. Yeah. Just a ton of running, and his engine just got enormous. Um, how do you deal with things like your knees and injuries? Because the most big thing I see, we actually teach an OCR class at our gym, our awesome. CrossFit gym, because we have a climbing wall, we have a cargo net, we have a lot of these things that most that are hard to come by, right? Love it. Um, but we deal with people that are running, you know, 50 miles a week, and like overuse is common because they don't squat, they don't go through full range of motion very often. Yep. How do you combat things like that um, to make sure that they don't hamper your training long term? Um, this isn't a plug, but I use Ramwad. Ramwad is just a simple way to basically say, hey, every single day, it's like doing homework. Like, hey, it's super fun to go to the gym and hang out with your friends and sweat and squat, but it's time for you to pay attention to things that are going to keep you in the game for a long time. I have a massage therapist I see once or twice a week. Um, you know, I think that's something that's afforded time-wise and money-wise to people, certainly. But uh, if you have it, you should take care of yourself. And last but not least, I think I think it's also just knowing when it's time to basically hit the stop button. You know, I think so many people always want to have more results, but they're never willing to, like, you know, get to it methodically and take their time with it. Right. Yeah. So you've taken us through um, kind of like big picture training, getting ready for race day. What's it like as you're getting closer to race day, like day of, couple days before? How do you taper training? What are you eating? How are you, are you prepping your body to go through such a rigorous test? Ta tapering is always taking the same workouts that you have and dropping the volume consist like you know significantly. So let's say you're going to do like a 60, 70 minute run. Now you're going to do like a 30, 40 minute run. Uh, if you're going to work out, you're going to do singles at the weights that you'd probably do, f uh, you know, five rep or a three rep. And, you, and you're going to keep the volume really, really low because you want your body still thinking that it's going to do, it's, it's got to be working, but you also want to let your body just rest and want more. And I get so like, you know, crazy the last week before competitions I'm always acting like an idiot I'm always getting myself in trouble uh, I can barely sleep it's just and you know that's a good sign um, there's also there's a lot of mental game to it um, a very very small uh, you know I've, I've got a very very significant plan when it comes to visualizing things I have a you know a, a, a mentor a coach that I go to every single week to make sure that I have those same things down um, there's some other crazy tricks that I use as well, but, you know, inappropriate podcasting. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, but it's, you know, everybody's got to have their thing, and I think that's the most important part about competition is what's best for you. Like, when someone reaches out to me online, they're like, what do you eat for breakfast before a race? I'm like, what do you eat for breakfast before you work out? Or like, what do you do for your, like, you know, before you work out, what's your favorite song? You got to pick that yourself. Like, right. no one else is going to give that to you. Do you have a very um, specific list of races you do every year now, like the go-to set races, or is it still kind of just what sounds good? Uh, I'm always a person who's adventurous and tries to do something that's unique. Like this year I was going to go do the Swim Run World Championships in Sweden. That's 39 miles of running and 6 miles of swimming. Not my specialty, but I wanted to do it for fun. Um, but there are championships you have to hit, basically, if you want to still be considered a contender and also get the cash prizes. And um, I know what suits my strength, so I will chase those. I like anything that's under 3K, like a 15-minute race. 
and uh, basically with the development of the sport now, there's so many different genres, but if you're good enough, you can really consider yourself to be king in one direction, and I, I like that. So you're king of the short course. Oh, I love it. I'll challenge any man or woman, any place, anytime. Well, let's talk about some of the, the stuff that you have accomplished already. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your short course world champion. 2014, that was our first introduction of it. Yep. Yep. You've done the Broken School Challenge for the last, you've been the champion for the last two years. Three years. Three years. Yeah. Uh, supplanting a CrossFitter, right? Yep. Tommy Hackenbrook. Tommy Hackenbrook, and there was another guy named Ian who was a CrossFit athlete as well who got him for just like a short second. Uh-huh. Took him down. Tommy, I say right now, is still my favorite and most, I think he's the most amazing athlete I've met. You know, to see him out here competing with guys who are like a third of his size at such a high level, his attitude and his work ethic, amazing. And he's got incredible mental fortitude, right? Dude, he's very tough I love guy. talking to that guy. I ask him questions, he's very simple about it. He's like, you'll be all right. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> is there right. ever unknowns in obstacles, or is it always like you know what the, the course is going to be, you know what obstacles you're going to come up to? or is Tons of unknowns. Okay. It's almost always unknown the way that they're going to structure it there's similarities but they always try to throw something new in make sure a that surprise, uh, or yeah, a... surprise it's always going to be harder and new what's your favorite part or what's your favorite obstacle oh i love the big carries big carries like we'll, we'll put 120 pounds on our back and walk up a double black diamond for a half mile and back down and you'll watch see for me 195 pounds that's that's like 50 percent of what i could carry for somebody else who's like 145 pounds that's like 80 to 90 percent of what they could carry and you just watch them there's just bodies everywhere yeah, yeah it's amazing it's amazing to see a world-class mountain runner just splayed out on the ground covered in sweat and bat like you know bags on top of them and i'm trucking by if our if our audience wants to like get into this yeah i mean, I mean it's all over tv right now i mean everybody loves american ninja warrior yeah it's a different type of obstacle course right but they, they bring on the Spartan Team Challenge right after it. And yep. I've seen you on there, actually. I've seen you, and they were building this big production backstory of you versus this other guy. Who's Dave like Megita. Your, your arch nemesis. Guy's a total jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you beat him. Heck yes, I you did. You beat him, and you're very excited about it. <laughs> um, so we, people see these types of things. Um, is, there, is there an easy way for them to get kind of involved in the greater community other than going to a race? Is there like big social media following, stuff yeah. like that? Well, I'd say you can always reach out to me, but there are big groups online. There's like, you know, the World's Toughest Mutter group. There's the Spartan 4.0 group. There's all these crazy communities where there's tens of thousands of people in there. And you could post like, hey, I'm in Central Park. I want to do a workout. Anybody want to meet up? And like half a dozen people will show up and they'll have like sandbags and buckets and weird stuff to work out with because they've been waiting for someone to call them. And uh, it's amazing to see. I can be in the middle of nowhere and I'll run into somebody. Like, I'm seeing people walk around with Tough Mudder t-shirts right now, and it's kind of just like having a tribe anywhere you go. So uh, it is very easy to get involved in the community. It's very, very close. And see, look, Spartan t-shirt right there. Yep. It's, Let's bring him on. Every 10 feet, you'll, you'll notice somebody. So it's it's amazing. Well, it's uh, because these two sports are... They're kind of like a like a, a sibling relationship, right? Yeah. CrossFit and, and OCR. I'm liking the fact that they're starting to coexist a little bit more. Yeah. It was really nice to have those high-level CrossFitters at the TMX thing because I've always looked up to them, and then I find out that they secretly were looking up to me, sitting down with Sam Dancer, somebody who's just such a superstar in my eyes, and then we could sit, you know, and we just, like, leveled down to the same table, and, like, we're like, damn, dude, like, you're awesome. He's like, no, you're awesome. <laughs> and they respect what we do, and it's at, once we get start to bring uh, those two together. Uh, oh, Ooh, 
just got oh, three kisses. Just got kissed. Yeah. So that basically, uh, that's when I think you're going to see both sports start to reach higher heights. Collaborating. Yeah. So you mentioned the this training hookup out in the park. Is that where you generally train? Or are you training in a gym? I have a very, I built a badass home gym at my house. I live up on top of a mountain that I've completely built to be like my dojo. Um, I would say the majority of my time is at my house. Uh, I'm like a house cat when I'm back in Malibu. People come to me and I'm just like, we, we, we rampage up there. I just there. want to sing that. Yeah. You guys, song. anytime you're in Malibu, it's a it's an open door policy. Uh, Bring in the, the yeah. podcast. Yeah, we're going to do a podcast episode from the mountain. Yeah, dude, you're welcome to. It's amazing up there. Run up, it run up the mountain. Oh, dude, that's called a contender. Challenge from the beach to my house, door to door. I mean, beach to door. Okay, I'll meet you at five, the top layer. Five point two miles and seventeen hundred oh. feet of climbing, and you run up. What's the time? Uh, my best time is 36, 36, 40. What's the time that you have to make it under in order to get a beer? Oh, you're a contender if you go under 40. Under 40. Yeah, under 40. It is. It's been a mile up the top. Yeah, and I got a case full of Fit Aid for you guys. Yeah. Ice cold. We got I'm pools up drive. there. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to drive, and I will cheer. It's all right. I'll it's for right. sure. I'll go for sure. Play. You only get half a Fit Aid if you drive. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Bye. All right, cool, Hunter, man. Thanks a lot for stopping by. We really appreciate it. If our audience wants to follow you as they should, yeah. we're they find you online. Hunt the sheriff, man. I got a sheriff badge tattoo, so you got to keep it real. Uh, yeah, and if you guys ever want to reach out to me, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Hope I bump into you guys at the games or a competition yeah. soon. So uh, heads up for me. All right, guys. Go Thank to you go so to much. iTunes. Download this episode. Give us a five star rating. At BTB Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Stay tuned for more stuff, Hunter. Thanks a lot, man. Rocking and rolling. Thanks a lot.